Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, as Terry swans about on the Oscars red carpet, we're left to consider a different kind of director. The DNO market is showing signs of stability, but the market is still a long way to go. Financial Services Minister Jane Hume gives some clues into commissions at last week's Life Insurance Summit. And finally, we pat ourselves on the back again as our InsureTech segment finds a genuine reason to mention Minecraft, thanks to NRMA. Hello, everyone. Terry is resting his golden vocal cords and taking a well-earned break. So on our panel today, we have Managing Editor John Deeks, Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, and Senior Journalist Bernice Han making her debut today. Morning, John. Are you a uh, Minecraft aficionado? Uh, no, not really. I have watched my son, though, playing it for hours on end, and not just playing it, but watching YouTube videos of other people playing it, uh, which seems a bit odd to me, but there you go. It's incredible. I wonder if we're in the uh, in the wrong game. Um, hello, Wendy. Uh, Wendy, as a seasoned podcaster, do you have any tips for our newest member, Benice? No, not really. Just uh, relax and take it as it comes. Very wise words. And a warm welcome to Benice, making her pod debut. Welcome, Benice. How are you today? Uh, not too bad. Hello, everyone. So on to this week's industry analysis. There have been some key reports released on directors and officers cover this week. John, can you outline who said what? Yes. Well, as we've reported over the last couple of years, the local DNO market has suffered from crippling price increases, sometimes of 200% or more. And this has been driven by a range of factors, but increasing numbers of securities class actions have been key. In a new report, Aon says it is cautiously optimistic that a more stable market is on the horizon. While prices are still expected to rise this year, they should do so at a slower rate. Capacity from new market entrants, increased regulatory oversight of class action litigation funders, and the easing of disclosure rules for listed companies are all good signs, Aon says. However, we also heard from Willis Towers Watson, which released its annual report on key concerns keeping directors and officers up at night. The report says that despite an increased regulatory focus and the first successful defence of a securities class action last year, such claims will remain a dominant feature of the Australian landscape. Wendy, um, you've written a lot about this issue. What are your thoughts? Well, something had to change because the situation was pretty unsustainable and there was the risk that companies were going to end up not getting cover at all. But um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the changes to the continuous disclosure rules. I mean, last year, the government said they were going to uh, ease it because of COVID uncertainties. And in February this year, they said they were looking to make that permanent. So uh, the government's raised the bar. So now companies would face civil penalty proceedings where they have acted with knowledge, recklessness or negligence. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out in terms of the market and prices as things go forward. Do you think that this is the end of the hard market, at least in uh, DNO? Well, they're saying that uh, it will still be going up a bit. Uh, so I think it might be some time before we can actually say it's the end of the hard market, but it's uh, hopefully the end of those really astronomical increases. So talking of class actions, there were a couple of major trials involving broker JLT coming up, aren't there, Wendy? Well, there are. Um, and um, JLT um, set up uh, some mutuals over the past decades and they aim to provide long-term stability and certainty for local governments 
at times when various insurers had stepped back and they'd struggled to obtain cover in areas such as public liability and professional indemnity. But in the last couple of years, there were a couple of Auditor General reports which had suggested that uh, councils could have made greater savings by putting their insurance requirements out to tender. So JLT has disputed some of the contents of those reports, uh, but the upshot is that the class actions have arisen from concerns that some councils have that they've been paying more than they actually needed to. Now, in normal circumstances, this is where we would wind up Terry and get him to uh, pontificate. But as he's not, not here, I'm going to throw it to you, John. How do you see this playing out? Well, uh, far be it from me to try and predict the outcome of any uh, court process. But there are some pointers to the key issues contained in the recent New South Wales ruling that allowed the case to proceed as a class action. It seems that for the most part, the actions of JLT will not be disputed. What's critical is the detail of the agreement between JLT and the councils and what obligations stemmed from that. It does occur to me that even if there was cheaper cover available in some years, that doesn't necessarily mean the mutual wasn't the best option over the long term. Remember, as Wendy said, that these mutuals were set up during a period of extremely tough market conditions that saw private insurers walk away from the sector. If the cases do reach trial, then it's going to be fascinating to see which way they go at a time when more and more sectors are calling out for a mutual option in the face of unaffordable or unavailable cover from the private market. Staying with insurance brokers, general insurance brokers are waiting on bated breath to see how the issue of commissions will be handled in the upcoming Haynes Spy Review. Benice, you covered the FSC's Life Insurance Summit last week, where Financial Services Minister Jane Hume gave a few clues as to how the government sees the issue. Now, I know she was talking about the life industry, but what exactly did she say? Yes, so uh, Minister Hume did touch a fair bit on it, which obviously is of huge importance for advisors and the life industry. And she gave the strongest hint yet that it's not game over for the much criticised commission-based remuneration system ahead of Treasury's review into the current fee model. So as she puts it, the issue with commission is not their existence per se, the issue is when they influence the advice provided. In short, the problem is when an advisor receives conflicted remuneration. An upfront flat fee model, often flagged as a better alternative to commissions, may not work well, according to the minister. She says it's a challenging business model since um, consumers have to pay out of pocket. And for many out there, they may not be willing or they may not have the financial means to pay for it. So why it's important to get the remuneration structures right, she says it's, it does not mean that there is no future whatsoever for commissions. That's the most important part of a speech, I believe, for the advisors and life industry. Life, life industry. So that sounds like um, almost like a back down or uh, an admission that perhaps it's too complicated. I mean, what do you think, John? Is this good news or bad news for brokers? Well, it's a fraught issue, as we know, uh, because brokers believe commissions work for everyone involved in the process and a fee-based system runs the risk of pushing people away from advice. Now, I guess the Financial Services Minister can't know or predict how the Hain-inspired review is going to pan out, but there are some encouraging comments there. As you say, she was talking to the life insurance industry, so we have to bear that in mind. But uh, the Financial Services Minister does make a number of points that I think brokers will welcome. 
you know, she has indicated there that commissions themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. The issue is only when they influence the advice given. And of course, brokers insist that commissions don't influence them. And the advice they give, uh, the commissions are broadly similar across all products, and the broker has an obligation to act in the client's best interest. Now, as Bernice said there, Ms. Hume also accepts that a flat fee model can be challenging and that consumers might not have the money to pay for that. So while these comments were made at a life industry event, they do show that the minister has a good understanding of some of the key points that general insurance brokers have been trying to make. John, we touched on a number of these issues in our uh, recent uh, commissions podcast, didn't we? Yes, that's right. We went into some detail in a feature episode, which you can still access on, on, on our website. Just looking at what the Hain Inspired Review is going to assess and what conflicted remuneration really means, what the options are going forward and the impact of any reform. Uh, and as, as I said earlier there, brokers are very clear that there's no problem here, essentially. Yes, insurers pay a commission, but that doesn't affect the advice that they give to the consumer. Their number one uh, responsibility is to get the best deal for the consumer. So 50% of this uh, panel know that they're the best drivers. But for some reason, men seem to crash a lot more than women. As a result, Australian insurtech Stella actually targets female customers as their better risks. Wendy, you've been writing about how Stella's gone down in Australia, and what is the company planning next? Yes, well, uh, Stella's founder, Sam Warlike, points out that it's not so much about uh, technical driving skills, it's, it's attitude towards risk. So um, women have less uh, accidents, and the accident, accidents they do have are less expensive. Um, and that attitude towards risk is reflected in areas of life beyond driving. So Stella has only been in operation since the middle of last year and they launched with car insurance, but they're keen to look at expanding that offering and look at designing other products from the ground up with an eye toward better meeting the needs of women in other areas of insurance as well. John, this is blatant discrimination, isn't it? Well, no, I don't think it is. Um, importantly, Stella doesn't ban men from its books. It just chooses to focus on women primarily and write products with women in mind. And I think I'm right in saying that here in Australia, insurers are, are allowed to discriminate when it comes to setting premiums if the actuarial or statistical data backs their actions up. So in the same way that a 20-year-old driver has to cop a higher premium than a 50-year-old, regardless of how careful they are or how good their own driving is, we might just have to live, live with this, Andrew, for a while. Uh, if women are better risks, then it benefits insurers to chase their custom. And men might just need to do a little bit of risk mitigation. Interestingly, though, on the flip side, uh, Sam White, who, as Wendy said, is the founder of Stella, she said in the past that she wasn't able to set up a similar operation in Europe as a result of an EU directive on gender discrimination. Well, possibly a risky policy that is, uh, seems to be paying off and we're interested to see. Finally, NRMA Insurance has created a new Minecraft world to help teach kids about climate resilience. John, for those of us who grew up with Minesweeper, not Minecraft, what exactly is this all about? Uh, well, as most parents will know, Minecraft is a phenomenally successful online game which enables kids to build their own structures in a 3D block type environment. What NRMA Insurance has done is create a new Minecraft world called Climate Warriors, 
which teaches kids the basics of building resilience. It's set in a custom-built landscape inspired by Australian coastal towns and uses NRMA insurance real-world data and climate change research. From watching the trailer, it looks like kids playing the game will be able to respond to threats like bushfires and work to build more resilient communities. Bernice is our resident gamer. Um, that's setting a low bar. Um, this isn't the first time NRMA Insurance has used games to try and educate the public about insurance, has it? No, actually. And um, the board game that they launched last year, I thought the concept was brilliant. Uh, it's a way of making a very important topic more fun and easier to understand and just get the message through. So I like to think that it may work this time as well with uh, this Minecraft-inspired game. And I like to believe that it will work. It's actually a brilliant move by NRMA to think up of a Minecraft game about natural disaster preparation to reach out to the so-called digital generation who will be the leaders of tomorrow. And they will be in charge of the country's climate change policy, etc. So kudos to NRMA for putting in the necessary effort to reach out to the uh, next generation of leaders. I couldn't agree more and I can't wait for us to uh, all get off this pod and start playing it. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Bernice Han. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.